71. Ebenezer and I did very well to set up in five minutes, didn't we, Ebenezer? Hello, everyone. My name is Max McGillivray from BSOR Global. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you all today uh, for this uh, very, what should we call it, Simon, very illuminating broadcast about, uh, about Fair Miles. I'm going to let Simon introduce it properly, but just for those uh, who are joining us, we've got um, uh, three levels of engagement that are, that are happening to today. We've got some sort of steam delegates in, in the room with us. We've got a number of delegates uh, dialed in on Zoom, and we're also live on um, social media. Um, and when we finish this broadcast, uh, this will all go out into a record on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and also there'll be a podcast um, of this also that um, if you've got colleagues um, or other contacts that you want to uh, to hear uh, this broadcast, you can then pull that onto them as well as the uh, as well as the broadcast. Um, Simon, shall we start with you? Could you introduce uh, us and the broadcast and why we're all here today, please? Yeah, no, thanks very much, Max. And well, thank you very much to everyone who's joined us here today, uh, both in person and uh, uh, and online. Uh, it's great to see so many people, um, you know, wishing to engage in, in, in this debate. I should add as, as well, we're going to have the discussion and the Q&A. Um, that, that won't be broadcast and recorded, so that will be recorded. So that'll give us the opportunity to have a uh, an open discussion after the presentations at the beginning. Um, but as Max says, I'm uh, I'm Simon, I'm head of sustainability at a company called Blue Skies, and we make uh, fresh prepared uh, fruit, which is manufactured at source. Um, so we've got factories in Ghana, Benin, South Africa, Egypt, uh, Brazil, um, and our value-added model um, allows us to provide opportunities for employment, technology transfer, skills development, and has a significant impact on local communities. But with a highly perishable product, the only way for us to get it to our key markets is by air. Um, and that brings us to work why we're here today. So the term fair miles was actually coined back in 2009, uh, and it appeared in a report published by Oxfam and IIED at the time about the impact of air freighted fresh produce uh, from developing countries. It was written in response to proposals at the time by the Soil Association to ban air freighted organics. Um, and in fact, one of the authors of the report, and uh, but, uh, certainly a, a number of people involved in that report actually here with us uh, today, and we'll be hearing from them uh, later. And in the end, I should ask that, that after extensive research and a lot of publicity, the Soil Association actually chose not to go ahead and ban air freighted organics. But now, some 15 years later, um, and we breathed new life into Fair Miles. And you might ask, well, why? Why is Fair Miles back? Well, you know, as a business, uh, as, as businesses quite rightly want to join the, the race uh, to meet net zero emissions targets, um, we're finding that air freight is once again um, under the spotlight. And I should also add as well, it's quite right that we should be aiming for those net zero targets. We're not here to debate that. Um, but what we are here to debate is, is whether it's right and whether it's fair that air freight is once again under the spot, spotlight. It could, you know, it's, it's seen as perhaps to be at odds with our plans and strategies to decarbonise. And in some cases, it, we're finding it's being questioned. And in other cases, it's being, it's being banned. But is that right and is that fair? So if we just go on to the first slide, Matt. Yeah. Just bear with me as we go through the niceties of IT, we've all been here before. So was Max uh, find the slides? So we're, we're here today to, to try and answer the question, which will hopefully appear on the screen in a moment. Uh, on to the next one. Yeah. Um, how can we take a fair approach to net zero without stopping vital market access for developing world producers? Let's go to the next slide. So through our growing consortium, Fair Miles represents a wide variety of interests from fresh produce businesses, development organisations and universities. And we thank all of our consortium members uh, for their participation and their interest and engagement so far. This is an issue or a question which has clearly struck a nerve. Uh, and it's not something we can just sweep under the carpet or hide away from. We have to start talking about this openly and together working out what we're going to do. Go to the next slide. 
So we've got a great agenda here for you today. For the first part of the meeting, we're going to be hearing about recent findings on the impact of air freighted fresh produce from developing countries. We're also going to be hearing reflections from the industry and perspectives on the ground as we consider climate justice considerations for net zero strategies. And then before we go into the discussion, we're going to hear some thoughts and ideas on what kind of next steps um, we might decide to take. And from there, we're going to open the floor um, for discussion. And we'd really like to hear your views, ideas, thoughts on how do we, how do we answer this question? Uh, and, and as I said, that, that will be, um, that will be a, a, a discussion which um, won't be recorded. Uh, but we'll, it will be a, a, a closed door meeting with everyone online and everyone in this room for us to hopefully have a, a really meaningful discussion. And after that, we're going to wrap up with some concrete ideas, uh, concrete next steps. So to conclude, for my part, once again, thank you all for coming here today. We're going to be, uh, as I said, recording and live streaming the presentations to begin with. Uh, and then when we go to the discussions, we're going to be adopting the Chatham House rule to ensure that we can all feel comfortable speaking uh, openly. With that, I'm going to hand back now to you, Max, to introduce the first of our presentations. Thank you. No problem. And just to uh, reiterate that we have got some amazing delegates here. We've got some amazing delegates um, online. If you'd like to introduce yourself on Zoom uh, using the chat function so other people could see who you are, because one thing that we do want to create from this is um, a collaboration uh, to, to source a meaningful answer to this uh, this whole issue around uh, around fair miles and what's been set up and likewise if you're dialed in on uh, social media feel free to um, make any comments on LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter or Facebook and uh, we'll look to endeavour to uh, to um, answer those on your behalf. Uh, Simon, remind me, who have we got up first? Well first we're going to find out a bit about the impact of air freighted fresh produce from developing countries, we're going to hear about some baseline research which was carried out uh, by the University of Northampton. Um, Dr. Ebenezer Laye is going to come and give us an introduction to that research. Excellent. Ebenezer, if you'd like to come up and just swap over with, uh, with Simon, that'd be fantastic. Now, Ebenezer, just, just give a bit of a background. Um, tell yourself, please, uh, your role within the university and your role within Fairmasters. Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. So my name is Ebenezer. As Simon said, um, I'm an associate professor of sustainable development law at the University of Northampton. I'm also uh, chair of the University Centre for Sustainable Business Practices, which is a research centre within the Faculty of Business and Law at the university. Um, my role within Fairmiles is to be part of the steering committee uh, and obviously to support the project from a research uh, perspective. Thank you. Right, let's get into your presentation. Um, just bear with me, everyone, as we uh, go through the joy that is the uh, internet resume. Yeah. Here we go, sir. Well, just there, there's your button. You yeah. take control. I will do that. Thank you, Max. Right. So, um, in terms of the uh, the baseline research, this is uh, uh, research that we've published. Um, from the University of Northampton, from uh, my research centre. It builds on, on other bits of work that we've done uh, previously um, around uh, social sustainability practices, but also on uh, climate justice uh, generally. Um, so this, this research assesses the socioeconomic uh, climate justice implications of banning air-freighted fresh produce. Of course, Simon has mentioned that we're breathing new life into fair miles because uh, after a number of years, um, air freight is under the spotlight um, and, and we do need to reduce emissions absolutely but of course um, is, is there a way to do that and I think that's what we're, we're trying to achieve with this uh, particular uh, uh, project so there are current trends which makes uh, this research that we've done highly relevant um, we undertook an investigative methodological approach um, using uh, a case study um, and, and, and the case study in this uh, instance was uh, Blue Skies. The case study allowed us to support and substantiate the arguments that we, uh, uh, we made in the, in the study uh, in respect of the socioeconomic benefits of air freight for communities that benefit directly and indirectly from uh, uh, Blue Skies as a fresh produce manufacturing from the business model uh, that they uh, operate. Now, this, this study provides a, a foundation, right? So 
it's, it's, it's a stepping stone upon which further research um, you know, can be based. It helps us to understand and to define uh, this issue around uh, the climate justice implications of uh, banning air freight. Within uh, the study, we set out a number of recommendations on how policymakers can ensure that the zero strategies attain climate justice. Um, we're not going to talk about recommendations as part of uh, this roundtable discussion, uh, but rather what we're going to talk about is to highlight what next steps we could take. Um, uh, and I think I'll, I'll do that sort of towards the end, uh, just before the uh, Q&A or just before the wrap-up uh, by Simon. So just to set context, um, a few facts about uh, um, uh, aviation emissions. Uh, overall, aviation accounts for about 2%. Uh, that stretches to 3.5% if you take into account non-CO2 impacts. Uh, but if you strip out uh, non-CO2 impacts, it's, it's, it's at 2%. Um, accountable, 2% of all uh, global emissions. Um, and that is less than all of the emission sources that you see in the graphs um, uh, uh, on the right-hand side. So energy use in buildings, uh, energy use in industry, transportation, and other bits of transportation, um, uh, you know, uh, fuel combustion, uh, agriculture, land use, industry, even waste, all of those sources are higher sources of emissions than air, uh, aviation. Um, and of course, that's not to say that uh, emission sources from aviation are not important to address, they are. And the ambition to achieve net zero is a hugely important ambition. Uh, we all know what's going on in terms of climate change and it is an urgent need for us uh, you know, to, to address it. So because of that, aviation, uh, you know, of course, and then the emissions that it produces causes a number of concerns for environmentalists, for commercial policymakers that uh, are under pressure from uh, uh, civic society, from uh, their, their, their customers, and even from uh, policymakers within government to address um, uh, emissions. Uh, and, and of course, that includes emissions that come uh, from aviation. Um, we all know that aviation is a, an extremely difficult uh, sector to decarbonize. Um, and because of that difficulty, it provides an attraction um, for uh, environmentalists or commercial policy uh, makers um, to say, well, let's just ban it. Uh, let's just ban air freight in that, in that instance. Let's um, uh, try and reduce as much as we possibly can our reliance on uh, goods that are transported by air. Um, and, and, and so there is that environmental and, and, and business case uh, uh, for it, which is what is fueling the trend uh, that we're seeing um, at the moment. But of course, banning air freight has climate justice implications, which um, need to be taken into account. Uh, and I, I, I just want to spend this slide just talking about what climate justice is. So at its basic core, climate justice seeks to address inequalities and disproportionate impacts of climate change on different communities, different countries all across the world. However, this extends to uh, the need to address inequalities and disproportionate impacts of climate change policies um, on the most vulnerable communities, the most vulnerable uh, peoples in developing countries especially. So in effect, basically, if you put it in the context of, of, of fair miles and what we're trying to achieve, um, commercial uh, net zero policies commercial policies that are intended to reduce emissions, um, uh, th there has to be uh, something done to ensure that those policies do not disproportionately impact um, the most vulnerable uh, you know, communities. So if you, for instance, uh, ban air freight, there are gonna be huge impacts within the supply chain, um, both within developing countries and developed countries, because of course, you know, the supply chains these days are low. Uh, however, you will find that the impacts on the developing nation side of the supply chain will be a lot more severe than on the developed side of the supply chain. Um, and this can be, in a sense, teased out from uh, recent research that Antat has done, where they have um, come out with uh, uh, findings to say that 64% of all countries in the developing world are commodity dependent and they rely on air freight and fresh produce as a source of foreign exchange. Now that's hugely important. Now what ANTAP says 
is that uh, within Africa, 45 of the 54 African countries are commodity dependent and their economies are commodity driven. What that means is that uh, the majority of what they're exporting um, are non-value-added agricultural products or agricultural items. And we all know within the global market, of course, uh, value-added goods are priced higher than non-value-added goods. So if um, within any given economy, you're exporting more value-added items, that means that you're getting more money into the country, you're having more foreign exchange to finance public services like health and education, infrastructure, etc. Um, and the reverse is true, that if you are, uh, as a nation, and as most developed nations are, exporting non-value-added items, then that creates a huge problem. And what we've seen over the, over the last few years is that uh, African countries especially are striving to emerge out of this commodity-driven economic landscape um, by adding value to their agricultural produce. Um, and uh, of course, that can be seen in uh, uh, the likes of uh, businesses like Bluestacks, which takes me to the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the next slide. Um, so in our study, we use Blue Skies as a case study to highlight those climate justice uh, uh, implications. Um, and Blue Skies' model of adding value at source is the kind of model that UNCTAD has highlighted as in their own research as being the kind of model that is going to help fuel um, uh, the economies of uh, the vast majority of African countries that are trying to make it out of um, uh, the bowels of uh, sort of a, a commodity-driven uh, uh, economic uh, uh, landscape. So what Blue Skies does is that they've got factories all over um, uh, Africa, particularly in West Africa, uh, specifically in Ghana, um, where they have their biggest factory. And they employ uh, about uh, 3,000 uh, people in Ghana, 5,000 people, I think, worldwide, mostly in developing uh, countries. Um, and uh, those people that they employ add value to their fresh cut, uh, uh, to the harvested fruits um, and process them into fresh cut fruit, which is then uh, flown over into UK and um, uh, European markets. And it's worth highlighting um, that this model only works because Blue Skies is able to, to air it. So within our research, we highlight, for instance, some of the advantages of the Blue Skies uh, model, which is that um, uh, in, in previous studies that uh, we have done, we have uh, identified uh, the social value in 2021 alone of Blue Skies' economic and philanthropic activities in Ghana, uh, uh, the social value generated from that to be uh, to the tune of $11.5 million uh, 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 you know, in total. And um, of course, in our study, we look at the climate justice implications of this. Um, and clearly, the first uh, climate justice implication of uh, abandoning effort would be on the economy, which is that uh, those thousands of people will not be able to be employed. And also, all the philanthropic work which Blue Skies does um, uh, would, not, uh, you know, no, would not go ahead any longer. So, um, you know, of course, within our study, we, we, we highlight a number of uh, recommendations um, uh, of how uh, commercial policymakers can ensure that they are, um, uh, their policies attain climate uh, uh, justice. Um, so to wrap it up, before I hand over to, back to Max and then we go to the next uh, you know, session, um, I, you know, trying to account for the climate justice implications of a ban on effort simply means us ensuring that um, our policies to reduce emissions, number one, yes, achieve that, but achieve that in a way um, which doesn't uh, harm the most vulnerable communities and preserves the rights uh, and dignities for people in developing countries, the rights to work, the rights to, um, uh, you know, a, a good life, preserves that for them and ensures that uh, the impacts on them are minimised. Over to you, Matt. Ebenezer, well done. And one, one quick question that I'm sure will come on to the, the Q&A. It was reported this morning that in 2024, there's going to be a predicted 84 million additional passenger flights so we seem to have this oxymoron that so there's a negativity towards air freight, but uh, um, uh, people uh, moving on planes is, is set to increase. And surely it can be beneficial both ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I think 
that's an important point to you know to take into account, right? So when you look at um, within our own research, right, we we, we highlight uh, to some extent that when you look at Blue Sky's business model, their business model is to transport in the belly hole of uh, passive yeah. Um So even if uh, in, in a worst case scenario, if 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 uh, all of Blue Sky's customers were to ban their, uh, you know their, their their products overnight. Those planes that bring their products over here to the UK and to Europe will fly anyway because they're passing the planes, and I think it's you know it, it's important to, to to highlight that um, uh, as, as as you know being significant, and, and we need to look at addressing this issue in a balanced way. So what we need is the latest set of practicing uh, figures, uh, and on that basis, we need a couple of experts. So Ebenezer, thank you. Can we have James? You come over. What are you doing? Yeah. Uh, James is going to do one, and then I'll put them. Got it. Okay. So, so James, I've got one slide. Do you want to run with that, or should we just talk? Um, slide. 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 We've got some slides. We've got some slides. Let's do the slide. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm James McGregor. I was uh, part of the original Fair Miles work 17 years ago, um, which um, a number, a lot of the, a lot of those on this call were part of as well. Um, if you remember, there was some uh, there was some evidence that we pulled together, some data, some some new findings, which enabled us to all come together under the banner of Fair Miles to talk about how food miles was a was a concept that should not drive how decisions are made, and we are now back there again. And um, you can see here in the in the bottom left hand corner this sort of executive summary that we've got here. What we've pulled together is some emerging evidence and data. From today, 17 years later, under largely the same headings. But what we are very keen to see is to, that in, in support of private and public sector decisions and policies that are made around sustainability and net zero in the UK and Europe and, and, and wider, that air freight of um, fresh produce and flowers should be something that we should be looking to expand from the global south. For two reasons. One is that this is actually a, um, a lower carbon dioxide option. Um, and secondly, from the point of view of the SDGs, so the Sustainable Development Goals, which um, everybody, all of our countries have signed up to for, um, for 2030, and we're still a long way from um, being able to achieve those. So the first really key point here, this is specifically around the livelihoods in Africa. Ebenezer was just talking here about, about, this, about this issue. We've got supply chains linking some of the some, some of the poorest or relatively poorest farmers in the world with consumers here in the UK and Europe. And air freight enables that to happen. And it is, um, it is a mechanism which is well proven to support not only large communities, but also um, many great spillovers, which we'll come to later. Our estimate at the moment is that this is considerably more than 5 million livelihoods in Africa, supported in part by the trade in fresh vegetables and flowers um, via air freight. A significant number and significantly higher than, than the number that we had 17 years ago, which, which is positive um, that decisions being made here by retailers are supporting a larger number of people. Uh, I'll now hand on to Roger for the rest of this slide. Okay. Well, we have to see, we have to see Roger. Roger, do you want to just introduce yourself to, to everyone yeah. online, please, before we go into a slide? Well, who are you who are you representing? Yeah, Roger Moore from the uh, University of Exeter. I'm a professor of management systems, um, which is studying how digital technology is transforming supply chains and lots of different industries across the world. Okay. So that's how we come out the Fairmarkets project. That's what we're interested in. Okay. And, and, and so why? We, we, are you of the view that we need to yeah. support Fairmarkets? Yeah. So we've got two big changes taking place. Something so we've got the whole green agenda and we've got the digital transformation agenda. Mm -hmm. And if we're not careful, what we'll find is we get the green agenda overemphasizing what's taking place. The digital technology can enable us to do things differently. Green is part of that story. Yeah. You know, I, I think we have to look at this thing in the round. We, we, we are keen to look at supply chains and what the implications of digital technology are okay. for changing your supply chain. 
Yeah, I think we're very lucky to have yourself and James here today. Okay, on with your presentation. So, yeah, I just wanted to make a couple of uh, quick points to add to what James has said, really. So, so when we started looking at this, uh, doing some research in this space, that it's quite a shock to me, and this might be my but it's quite a shock to me that Africa is a net importer of food for the last 30 years. So immediately you get this view, okay, so you've got a part of the world here which is importing food. For example, Nigeria imports 10 times more than exports. Mm -hmm. Now, that isn't food, that's, you know, machinery and equipment, Nigeria's an oil rich state, so it obviously has those sort of things. But if you take a look at what's happening, say, for Ethiopian Airlines, it's the airline in Africa, something you understand, that has five times as much uh, food being imported into Africa as it exports. Okay. Now that's a really big statistic to make you think about, okay, what's taking place here? So that's not, we're not just talking about passenger traffic here, we're talking about how food is being moved. Yeah. And immediately that leaves with the thought that actually who benefits from that? Well, you can use it. We export a lot of food. Right? Okay, trying to interject that the, the 10 fastest growing cities in the world are all in Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at the South Africa, fresh produce yeah. alone. Uh, they yeah. export uh, four and a half million tonnes of fresh produce to better uh, markets that they get better return from. And the domestic market, they supply three and a half million tonnes into. Yeah, that's not, I think that's not typical of what, what we see. So we're getting a world where exports, UK and Europe's economy actually does depend on, to some extent, what's taking place in Africa is the export sorts of food. Um, and you mentioned this figure around passenger traffic. We are going to see, you know, the estimate is that it's going to double. Africa's passenger traffic will double by 2035. That means a lot more flights into Africa. You know, there's a lot more opportunity for UK and European uh, growers to export food. Um, but there is also then a real opportunity to import food as well and to maintain the livelihoods that Ebenezer was talking about. And why I'm interested in this is because, you know, we live in a world where digital transformation and just-in-time supply chains are much more commonplace. You know, we're, we're living in a world where we can send a signal. We were talking to someone this week, a farmer in Kenya who said to us, um, you know, I might get a signal on a Thursday morning and I'm going to be delivering the food on Friday afternoon and it will be in your shelves on Saturday morning. Now, that sort of world reduces the amount of waste. You know, we're looking for, you know, waste is a big issue. You know, we're talking about productivity and green waste. We're trying to reduce waste. Um, Freight, traffic in, in aircraft, moving it through air freight doesn't enable us to do some stuff. You, you're dealing with a perishability issue. Yeah. So digital transformation can enable it. We've got lots more opportunities. One final point from me is that through by enabling, uh, by enabling air freight, by enabling uh, countries in Africa to produce food, which is then shipped to developed economies, as you were talking about, there is this spillover effect. There's the spillover effect of, yes, there's technology transfer. We're getting knowledge being exported. So the people know, you know, things about yield, what crops to grow, they know more about soils, what fertilizers. You know, there's a real spillover effect in the internal economy as well. So that's a wholly positive thing. Then there's the service sector growth, isn't there? There's all these things about foreign exchange. Then there's all the stuff about, you know, if you're an investor, you actually want to invest in Africa, but you're, you're, you're cautious about it. Now you're getting an economy which is a bit more developed, understands more about how it works. That's wholly positive. And the final one for me is, you know, we read a lot about migration, don't we? It's a massive pop topic across Europe, across the UK. You know, how we how do how do we how do we deal with migration? Well, you know, one of the ways in which we can help with migration is by enabling people in their location to better, you know, to better to live better quality lives. Yeah. And, and, and digital transformation is part of that story. Yeah, yeah. well done. Just, I've got to mention the um, Blue Sky Farm, farm School Competition, um, because uh, you look at that, that example within, within Ghana, right. they, they found that there was a, um, a number of the, uh, the children, even the adults, didn't want to work in agriculture, so they were all running off into the cities, yeah. hoping to be doctors and accountants, but becoming taxi drivers and even worse. And so the uh, the blue skies farm, farm competition okay. within a fifty kilometer radius of the of, of no, it's gone national. It's gone national. Man, really? it's shown up rightly so. Those schools get uh, seed fertilizer and and tools uh, to grow uh, fresh produce. When I visited, you know, even the teachers were getting excited and were growing their own 
uh, uh, projects and feeding the village and, and pay for stationery. So it's just yeah, yeah. yeah. And through trade, that enables knowledge to be transferred. Yeah. 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 Well, this tech is going so well, you can't, it's going to end. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be perfect. Okay, here we go. What we're going to show you now is a screenshot of uh, from one of these, uh, one of these uh, radar programs that you can, you can all see. And uh, picture tells many words. Nobody, nobody needs to listen to me. We can just look at this picture. Wow. Um, I'm not even going to describe it, but talking over this and to, to bring together some of the points that have just been made here. Why do planes fly to destinations in Africa and other parts of the developing world or the emerging world? And it's, uh, if we use, use the example particularly of Kenya, we're looking at um, safaris and salmon as uh, the, the things which are on planes, which cause these planes to fly from the UK. And, uh, and not the sweet corn, which is included as a byproduct flying, flying back in the belly hold of those planes, flying out of, uh, out of Africa. And it's really, it's really important to start thinking about these sorts of issues that if, you, if we in the UK are to see reducing aviation as part of our net zero strategy, then looking at reducing imports of a byproduct effectively from the from, from this trade is, is not going to change the number of planes flying. It's already been mentioned. Um, however, we could look at flying out fewer um, elements that the UK, for instance, see there at the second point, does already export. These are, these are numbers from uh, 2018, but still very relevant from a percentage point of view today. Uh, salmon, gold, and other minerals, and lots of other value-added elements that we export. The COP28 has just finished, and uh, as part of that, we saw uh, a huge push towards the just transition. We are we're seeing this as being as being something that we want to emphasise from the point of view of this work as well. Climate equality is on the agenda now. When we start putting the evidence together, um, a just transition does not mean reducing trade with Africa. It actually means exactly the opposite. Um, you can see there are points there, third and fourth. But also what we're dealing with here when we deal with food that's imported by air freight anywhere in the world, it's typically the highest quality. It accords with the highest standards, not just the, 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 the EU food law and the, the various other phytosanitary needs that, that, that we have coming into Europe and, and the UK, but also some of the global standards, global gap, fair trade, et cetera. You can see that they're on the screen. So yeah, we'll leave it there. And it, It's... Uh, it, does it come down to the perception uh, of, of the consumer? We've, we've seen that um, recently in the, in the UK with the, with the demise of some plant-based products, um, that the consumer just wants uh, cheap food. And air freight actually is cheap food because the volume that's sort of intimated, the supply chain is so, is so um, ro ro robust that it's, it seems to be this perception actually that we should be promoting it. And it's not a, it's not a, um, a, a um, a, a potential carrier of doom. It's it, it, especially with everything that we've got going on within the UK and Western Europe with um, uh, uh, diabetes. We need more fresh produce coming in. We need more people like Madrid to supply us and everything, which would be a very good compromise to, to be able to achieve that and the benefit, benefits that they can provide to uh, the, the countries in Africa, like the ones that we've been nominated. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think we need to be moving to a situation where consumers are proud to buy. Uh, produce, fresh produce, particularly that has come from uh, African countries, Asian countries, etc., yeah. and should not be seen in, in, in any other way. Supermarkets should be seen as part of a zero strategy and should be in a, in, in a position where they are, where they're proud of this, advertising this, and informing their um, their consumers and their shareholders that this is part of their net zero strategy. Yeah. It's uh, it's maybe not the most obvious approach, but it is something that uh, that we know that. Consumers and retailers will understand. Yeah, and, and I think we're very privileged in this room as everyone else listening in. We know the, the success stories. Again, I'm thinking on Madden Ruth as, as a direct example of the likes of, um, of West Africa. We need to get that story out. I think that's what we're all hoping to achieve with, uh, with, with their mask. Uh, thank you very much, James. Thank you very much, Roger. Shall we have our next speaker up? Sit down. You're going to introduce yourself to a few thousand people online.
Well, afternoon, everybody. I'm Moran Webb. Um, I work for an organisation called CoLead, which is it's actually an association and it represents stakeholders in the fruit and vegetable sector in Africa, Caribbean, Pacific countries, and the EU. And so, as well as being an association with our membership, um, we also implement development programmes. And for the last 20 years, we've been running um, technical assistance programmes, mainly funded by the European Union. And the real focus of that has been on facilitating market access. Okay. And so we've been you know, jumping through lots of hoops mm -hmm. in order to enable exporters from Africa mainly to access European markets. Okay. And what do you think we are at the moment? Are we in a trough of despair? Or can, can you see um, that with a bit of robust lobbying such as uh, such as Bermars and us all collaborating that we can we can see through this and great success? Well, I hope so. I mean, like James, some of the others I've I've been here before, yep. 15 years ago, we were having the same discussion, and we did manage to overturn lots, lots of lines. Yep. So we really hope that we can, we yeah. can do that again by you know, just really presenting this in a way that is looking at it in, the, in more fairly, um, and not just more fairly, but actually more logically and more defensively. Well done. Just before we start your presentation, just to say everyone, we've got an issue with the chat function. I think it's amazing we've got everything working, we've got sound. Um, but if you want to communicate with us, uh, use the question function on, on Zoom if you're on Zoom. If you're on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, just use the, uh, the chat functions, the messaging functions on those, and, and we'll pick, pick it up. But on Zoom, if you want to communicate with us, use the, um, uh, the, 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 Q, the Q question, the Q&A um, element. Just bear with me. What we've heard so far has been a very eloquent academic perspective. Um, the next 15 minutes are a bit more really, you know, reflections from the ground yeah. about what, what is happening to those of us who are either producing and exporting or trying to support those who are producing and exporting. All right, so just give you the controls. Just that, that one. one. That one. Yeah. All right, so. Um, where are we now? Um, I think it's important to, to put this in perspective. Africa's been supplying the EU and the UK for over 20, many years, well over 20 years, um, with tropical and off-seasonal produce. And this is a, a sector that's not being driven from the export side, but it's very much being pulled by European markets who have required the to produce its projects. Most of it has gone into retail, um, I think about 80% of fresh produce are sold on in the EU and the UK markets. About 80% or so of that is going through retail. Retail, as all of us who are involved in the industry know, is incredibly demanding. Um, it's demanding in terms of um, quality, in terms of price, uh, in terms of being able to demonstrate um, good practice in terms of social um, environmental and also food safety requirements. And so being able to maintain that market access over the past 20 years has taken a huge effort uh, and a, a massive amount of resources on the part of that those export sectors. And it's also important to remember that fresh produce is not like other things. It's just in time. Somebody already mentioned a very short space of time between harvest and getting something onto the shelf in Europe or or the UK, and that brings a lot of challenges in itself with you know, late orders, having to be very adaptive and really flexible. Um, but this is this investment over the last 20 years has been continual. There's been so many different challenges, different demands, as markets have evolved, as requirements have evolved, and that's been a really big investment at the expense of other things that people have invested in, but really pulled by this demand from European buyers. And it's really important to highlight that meeting those requirements is disproportionately challenging for low-income countries, whichever way you look at it, because of limited resources, perhaps lack of public sector infrastructure, etc. And so jumping through those hoops is a lot harder for countries in, in Sub-Saharan Africa than it is for, for European companies. So we're looking at an industry that has evolved, but one that has been you know, challenging. Um, and uh, has really um, produced a lot of benefit in terms of creating jobs, in terms of creating wealth, um, et cetera, in those exporting countries. And here, something that was highlighted earlier by, by um, Ebenezer, 
zero air freight here means automatically a lot of those short shelf life products like beans, like um, baby corn, etc. And it's just being put them out altogether because there's not an alternative at the moment to um, to supply those by any other route because uh, the, the short shelf life means that they can't be um, in by ship. So the difficulty that we're facing at the moment is that after spending 20 years trying to help people access European markets, we're now facing some of our partners saying, my buyers are no longer buying off me because I'm air freighting and what do I do? I mean, what's the next hoop that I can jump through? Well, there isn't one, you know, but why? How do you justify that? And I think that's what now I'm going to try and do here. It's rather shamelessly emotive, I have to say, in the way that I'm trying to present it. But um, I'm not going to apologise for that. This is just visually representing some of the things that James and Ebenezer have already mentioned. You know, food is not the main um, emitter of uh, greenhouse gases. And within the whole food sector, transport is actually not a massive part of that. Here is the two hours on data, the research that they've compiled, and the data they've compiled transport is only 6%. It's not very big. And then you look at other emitters in terms of even aviation. I didn't know that James was going to show that very nice map showing the sort of international flights, but if you look at just domestic flights, you can see here, um, in most of Africa, you don't even have data because there's hardly any domestic flights at all. So the culprits are not sub-Saharan Africa in terms of emitting, they're just shuffling people around internally. Cumulative CO2 emissions, this is since 1750. Again, Africa, you can get 0.2, less than 0.2% of, of global emissions. If we look at emissions today, that map looks almost exactly the same, except for the USA and China have swapped places. But again, emissions happening today from Sub-Saharan Africa are tiny compared to what they are in Europe and other parts of the world. But in terms of the number of people living in poverty, and where you really have this need to develop local economies, to develop uh, from commodity-based exports, etc. Sub-Saharan Africa is still struggling, and here you can see 450 million people, more or less, still living in extreme poverty. So against that background, that question of why, it's really challenging, really difficult to answer. Um, as I said, this is a bit sort of emotive, but I think it's important to emphasize that the messages here are really simple. It's not, you know, it's not a complex argument that we're trying to get across here. Vulnerable populations in developing countries, in particular farmers, small farmers, are those that really today are the most severely affected by climate change and, and are suffering from extreme weather. Um, drought in the Horn of Africa, flooding, etc. And African farmers, despite being the least responsible for climate change, are at the moment suffering the brunt of those consequences. And so adding an extra burden on that by limiting access for those farmers to lucrative um, market, it's not even just unfair, it's really indefensible. And I think that the next two speakers that are going to come after me are going to um, present much more effectively and eloquently what these changes are actually meaning for their export sectors and for local economies and for the people who are involved in, in this trade. So with that, I'll, I'll finish and hand over. I hope that, sorry, I was gonna say, I hope that we've got Clement Tulesi um, in the call. Okay, and was he due on now, Simon? Yes. Yes, uh, he's joining us from the, uh, representing the, the horticultural sector in Kenya, the Horticulture Task Force. Right, Clement is here. I'm going to promote Clement to a panellist. And uh, Clement, you will be rejoining the webinar as a panellist. Um, just as we're waiting for, for Clement, I just had a really interesting WhatsApp uh, question that we'll, we'll provide to um, everyone else a little bit later. What's the answer? Um, is, it, is it government? Um, is it uh, industry education? Is it getting more multinationals um, involved with the, within the sector? I think the industry just needs to reflect on the way it approaches net zero. This is what this, this community around fair miles is all about. It's trying to have a sensible conversation about how we know we need to decarbonize, we know what we need to do, we just need to do it in a way 
that is effective because this is not even going to have very much impact. No. And we need to make we need to do it in a way that's fair. Yeah. yeah. So this is what engagement and conversation needs to be about. Yeah. Are, are you positive? Are you optimistic about the future? Um, I'm trying to be. Yeah. yeah. It worked last time round because I think you know the arguments are very persuasive. Yeah. And I think the industry will come on board with this. Yes. Yeah. I hope. Well done. Well done. Uh, Clement, do you want to just turn on your video? Oh, this is getting right. Clement, can you talk to us? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. Um, okay, my name is Clement Tulesi. I'm the CEO of Kenya Flower Council. Uh, but I also represent the horticulture sector in Kenya as the chair of the National Horticulture Task Force. I represent the voice of the producers, exporters from Kenya, and uh, what I'll be sharing are experiences from Kenya from a very practical uh, perspective on the implication of if we were to stop uh, air freight for fresh produce from Kenya, what it means. We positively appreciate uh, all the efforts on climate change and all the mitigating um, uh, measures that are there on the same but we depend on air freight to move our produce to the market. And for Kenya, this is important uh, because the Kenya uh, horticulture uh, sector uh, represents a greater part of, of our economy. It contributes uh, to uh, almost 7% uh, of our GDP, uh, generating for us about 750 million pounds every year, creating employment for 350,000 people annually. And for those who depend on our sector, it's more than 4 million people. We grow uh, a number uh, of uh, products, um, cut flowers, uh, vegetables, fruits, spices, and herbs. And out, out of all that we uh, export, uh, we can see that um, the, the effect it has on our economy is huge, as I've mentioned. Every day, we grow under the sun. And this is an important point because we don't grow this under any external injection of any external uh, factors as far as the energy is concerned. So 12 uh, hours a day, 365 days, we have the sun overhead where we grow this product. The product is of high quality, highly appreciated uh, by consumers, both in the EU and the UK. Uh, it is, uh, we, we also look at, uh, at it more, much more um, uh, at the point of risk. So food saf safety, social compliance, uh, fair trade are some of the things that we look at. For us from Kenya Flower Council, we can say that out of all the growers in Kenya, uh, under uh, Kenya Flower Council, 64 of them under uh, uh, from 140 farms have actually solar power which they use during the day uh, almost 100%. So that is, for us, that is very positive in terms of looking after our environment. The reality about uh, air freight ban uh, will, is that it's, it's gonna affect a lot, a lot of livelihoods, as I've mentioned. Over 4 million people will be affected out of this. For example, I know of a farm uh, when they stopped a uh, vegetable farm, when they stopped uh, uh, shipping to one of the uh, importers, they are losing uh, about 3.8 million pounds every year and over 200 jobs have been lost as at June this year. And some of these people who have lost their jobs, they are asking, why should we be on the losing? They don't understand all this. So this is a huge impact. You can extrapolate that against all the other uh, uh, farms that are producing. They, there will be immense negative impact if this was to happen. The export of, uh, of uh, uh, the, the export supply chains are critical in our investment. And we believe that income becomes very important for these producers to continue investing in climate change adaptation mitigation technology and livelihoods. For, as I mentioned, uh, horticulture is very important, is among the top three foreign exchange earners uh, for this country. And I will pose a question here. For the UK, we, we know that the UK is exporting 
a number of, of goods, road vehicles, power generating machinery, and pharmaceuticals are the top three. Will, will the UK, for example, be able to stop this? And this is what it means for us as a, as a, as a country if we were to stop uh, a trade or in horticulture. Beyond all these uh, strict uh, compliance and certification that I mentioned, there is the social part of our business. We support a lot of social welfare uh, programs, including school programs, uh, road protecting, uh, road protecting uh, I mean roads, uh, protecting water sources, health facilities, among many other things. If we were to stop this, you can imagine the ability of many people being able to take their children to school will be completely diminished. And for us as a developing country, education is very, very important. We want to have almost, if I can say 100% transition between one grade to another. So this is going to have a huge impact if there is any stop in a freight of our produce through air. So we are very clear on why we would support that air freight should continue, even as we look at supporting all the measures that are there uh, around bringing in the mitigating ch challenges. And we are prepared to put in uh, much more when the resources are coming to our end. Thank you. Well, can, I, can I just say thank you? I think that it's, it's just like when we had um, Alistair from, uh, from Blue Skies on, on a previous broadcast. It's great having us all in, in London and the embankment here, but we actually need to hear it from Africa. And we've just heard it um, from yourself and, and your question um, or your the, the, the scenario you, you point out of what would happen if the UK were to stop exporting the likes of generators to Africa. It is such a great um, scenario. We spend so much time and effort in the UK talking about exporting. We must export. Well, how's it going to feel if Africa can't um, export to us? It, it's going to be very, not only disruptive, it could uh, create significant issues within Africa. And we all are talking within the UK at the moment without trying to cross a political line about um, immigration. Um, and one of the reasons for that is people are looking for a better life because they think they can get it in the UK. Well, so if we keep buying from the likes of Africa, fresh produce, we're going to be able to look after your, yourself, your colleagues, your friends, your businesses uh, to, to keep producing uh, fantastic fresh produce. So Clement, we must support you. So just one, one question, same question I asked uh, Moro. What's the answer? From your perspective, from Kenya, if we could give you the magic wand um, to, to create a success for, for their miles, what would you what would you want to see? What's the answer, Clement? We want to see much more support uh, from from the uh, buyers and from the export market on all the efforts that we are putting in. Uh, we know that on the ground this is important. Uh, the climate change and all other um, uh, things that we have to do to uh, support uh, climate change efforts, we are putting in. So we will want to have a bit more support. The first one, as I mentioned, is about continuing to buy our product. Uh, secondly, probably putting a bit much more effort from the buyer side towards all those efforts. So if those two could be done, we see a, a process where we can all work together and continue promoting trade, even as we look at uh, stemming some of the things you are talking about. For us uh, in Kenya, we look at the rural urban migration. We are one of the few industries in Kenya that stems the rural urban migration because we provide jobs where the people are in the rural areas. Um, well done. And, and we, we talked about collaboration a, a lot today. Um, would you be open to collaboration if, if they were retailers in the UK or, or Europe or further afield that wanted to find out more about, about Kenyan and creating long, longer term partnerships, create success around this. I presume you'd be happy to collaborate. If they were to come over, you'd be happy to host them and show them um, and everything that we want to learn from, 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 from yourself and your colleagues. You'd be happy to collaborate. Exactly, that is the word. We will be very happy to collaborate um, where we can sit and uh, uh, look at ideas, what will work for us to continue the business, both from uh, the buyer side and the producer side. Okay, so are you positive about the future? I am I'm remaining positive. Uh, I, always, I always sit on the positive side because I believe that uh, the decisions that uh, will be made or can be made around this uh, 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 will be very sound. Um, all these factors will be looked at and anyone who can make a decision on that will be very sober to understand 
what this actually means. So I remain very positive about it. Excellent. Just to wrap up, um, what is the most beautiful country in the world? Say that again. What is the most beautiful country in the world? Kenya. <laughs> Definitely. Simon, <laughs> well done. You're, you're brilliant. We're going to engage a lot more with you in the, in the future, in 2024 and beyond. Could, could you do me a huge favour and just turn off your video, but still listen in. You're, you're brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. How who, do we have Ebenezer next? Oh, it's Ruth. My favourite person. <laughs> favourite person. <laughs> Right, Ruth, just introduce yourself, Madam Ruth. Introduce yourself to, um, uh, to, to everyone in the UK and internationally in Ghana, please. First of all, stop using your wedding my In Ghana, it is uh, it's a, it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of respect. So I'm Ruth Smith-Ajay. I'm with this guys. I'm the West African General Manager. I've been with their business for the past 24 years. I've had a privilege to grow with their business. So I've seen all the changes and different stuff. Yeah. So how did it start when you commenced with the business and where is the business today? Yeah, so when I said that this guys literally were just employing between 35 to 50 people. Currently we employ over 3,000 people in Ghana alone. And in Ghana where you have extended families, when we say 3,000 people, we are looking at thousands of thousands of people. Yeah. Because every household is not less than six, seven people. So the impact of employ one person is huge. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a community of um, development where the employment we create in the community we are has grown so much, not just for the staff, but also for the farmers, mm -hmm. for also for people looking at going to schools. I heard um, Clement talking about schools here. The schools in our locality, now when you ask, what do you want to be oh, when I finish, I want to work with blue sites. This is the impact we've made in the area where we are. And it tells you how important these things are, not just because you want people to go to bed, it stops people from thinking of migrating. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had more talking about um, the impact of the migration. Um, you see 0.2%. It's just negligible when you look at the focus they're making. But when you look at the impact it makes when you stop flying, yeah. it's almost 90% of livelihoods, 90% yeah. of People, you know, who live in those communities and they impact to make on them. Just on that side, but for people yeah. who aren't really aware of these guys, what do these guys do in Accra, in, in Ghana? What what do you grow? What do you process? What where, where can you find this? Is it forbearance? What is it? So um Blue Skies deals in perishable foods. It started in 1997. And we mainly do tropical foods in Ghana. Currently, we do all types of fresh foods around the world. We are in different countries. The Ghana is the mother company. We are located in the eastern side of Ghana, and um, we fly all our products to UK, yeah. Europe in general. So we use all the airlines that we can think of too. Yeah. Is there any possibility that that product could go by another route? Could it be frozen? Could it be going Unfortunately, a highly perishable, limited shelf life would do six to seven days shelf life. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so in the UK, it's just Prepared slice and dice fruit, as yeah. I would say, we, from major fruit. We add value at source. All you do is pick it on shelf and then yep. you send it to it. Okay, so, so the team are harvesting now, say, um, in, in Ghana. When will when the land in the UK? Three weeks, four weeks down the line? No, 24 hours. 24 hours yeah. from Ghana? From Ghana. Okay. So it's ordered today and you get it tomorrow on shelf. Yep. That's how okay. this speed we use to. Okay. And the technical accreditations. That, that, that you have the high you don't yeah, have high capacity, do you? Of course, we do. So, it, I mean, honestly, I'm having a, a factory in Africa where you don't raise a lot of questions. People tend to say in Africa, they do it right. We have all the high standards you can think of. And um, British retail concern, BRC, the quality, we have the Schmitter audits, we have the food safety audits, we have all the high standard audits. We have international auditors who come to audit us annually to ensure that we meet all the specifications and standards. The food fridge. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so to ask this question, I ask more and, and what does success look like for you for for Fairmarts for the success of Fairmarts? What What do you want to see? Yeah, we, we want them to be successful. I mean, you want the support of the you know, international community where they appreciate that supporting businesses that are because you encourage international, you encourage foreigners to set up in Africa. So you have to encourage them to be able to waste the time. They the business that they've set up, we are trying to discourage them from flying 
or from you know, trying to grow. They can only be successful if they are supported. The little impact they are making there has huge impact in the African community. We have two of us, um, our customers who joins us, one in the UK and one in Europe. And we built almost in the past 15 years, almost 150 schools, water, um, you know. So basic things in community that makes an impact in the lives of you know the yeah. low standard communities that we have around us. Yeah, yeah. yeah so this is a shout out. I know we've got a lot of retailers um, online or be listening on the record. It's not all about the bottom right-hand corner of the Excel spreadsheet for that for that buyer. Yes, that retailer has to make um, a margin for them to be profitable in the in the um, in the very hard attritional retail sector, but also to have long-term relationships with businesses in, in Africa. Correct. You employ 4,000 people. I believe there's an ecosystem of 35, 45,000 people yeah. and that hang off um, yes. yourself in Ghana, let alone your new business, your relatively new business in Benin, in uh, Brazil, in Egypt, in so, South Africa, yeah. and in Corby. And this is just one little group business. So if we can support all of those businesses in Africa on a similar basis, the, the, the uh, changing the changing the dial, pushing that lever would be would be significant. Definitely. So the same question I asked Chloe, that was that you'd be happy to collaborate. If there are people, whether it be buyers, retailers, or people that want to find out more, they don't quite understand. They thought it just came off a shelf on a, on a retail um, in, a, in a retail. If they wanted to reach out to you and your colleagues, you'd be happy to do that. You'd be more than happy to do that to make sure that people understand this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the most beautiful country in the world. Ghana first, Kenya second. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Cuba as well. <laughs> and Ruth, Ruth, thank you. You're, you're fantastic. Thank you. Excellent. Well done. Ebenezer, thank you. You've got to go to see Ruth and her, her team. I've yet to go to the Benin site, um, which I, I can't wait to do. But uh, no, when, when I go back to, I, I don't know how you feel about going back to uh, the Ghana. It's like my second home. Yeah, it is. Well, it's your first home. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Shall we get on to it with your slide? Yeah. So um, I'm just here to, you know, we're, we're beginning to wrap up on uh, sort of the, uh, uh, well, this part of the program before we go into the Q&A. So, um, uh, I'm here to talk about where next, and then I'll I'll uh, sort of hand back over to you, and and you hand back over to um, uh, uh, to Simon. So, in, in in our in our own research, we talk about uh, uh, possible recommendations. We're not calling them recommendations for the purpose of this discussion. We're going to the Q and A session, and we just want to set context. We just want to highlight um, uh, possible areas uh, for. Uh, action in terms of next steps um, and, and, and the things that I'm about to highlight now will provide the context for the conversation uh, you know in the uh, uh, in the Q&A. Uh, so, oh, right you keep talking I'll fix it. Right so there the, are the two main things that um, uh, I have to highlight uh, in terms of next steps so how do we address this problem how do we address this this issue the two main things that um, we are, are looking to bring to the table in terms of a discussion, some thoughts and ideas. Um, the issue, of course, is how do we uh, balance uh, the approach to attaining net zero when it comes to air freight? And we think one of the things that we could do is to undertake the development of a co-creator toolkit or net zero policy making. What this toolkit will do is that it will help commercial policymakers to navigate the intricate interplay between environmental and socioeconomic dimensions which play out in this issue. And of course, those dimensions are in tension with each other. Um, and so with this interplay, you've got to find the balance between the rights, the risks, and the responsibilities. And that makes an effective framework for crafting and shaping equitable climate change policies that attain climate justice. Um, uh, and this will ensure uh, the upholding of rights and responsibilities whilst addressing and mitigating risks, especially for marginalized and vulnerable communities um, uh, in, in, in supply chains. And then secondly, we need to undertake further research. We need to understand. Um, we've talked about some research that we ourselves have done, um, and uh, Roger and uh, James have also talked about uh, other bits of research. Morai has presented some elements of research as well. But well, we need to do further research to better understand the economic and the social and trade implications of a ban or, or limit on effort and fresh produce, especially for community-driven um, economies. And a, a lot of this research can take the form of some kind of a modeling 
or predictive analysis, uh, where we enhance, uh, uh, we, we, we apply digital tools to, to try and better understand um, what really uh, sort of uh, uh, happens at a granular level, a more granular level, um, with a, a, a ban on, on, on air freight. Uh, uh, air freight and fresh projects. And just to wrap up, if I hand over back to you, Max, you asked the question, um, you know, what are the answers? And I think in line with this slide, what I would say is that the answer is to come up with a solution which demonstrates that um, we are recognizing the humanity in each other. The whole point of us trying to reach net zero is to save the planet. What is the point of saving the planet if we can't save the people? What is the point of saving the planet and addressing climate change if it means that the poorer uh, or the poorest amongst us become even poorer and the desperate amongst us become more desperate and the destitute become more destitute and the marginalized become more marginalized? What is the point of all of that? So I think you know it, it has to play at the back of our minds. We've presented a lot of, um, you know, as, as more I will say, you know, a lot of academic uh, stuff and also some practical stuff. But at the end of it, when you strip all of the way, it comes down to that. How many of us would be happy to be in the shoes of people in Kenya or Ghana or South Africa yeah. that rely on jobs uh, that are linked to African fresh products? How many of us would be happy yeah. to have those jobs taken away? Yeah. How many of us would be happy to lose that livelihood, not have any economic safety net um, or employment safety net as we do in countries like this? But that's not it. That's not a possibility in Africa. Yeah. Um, and how many of us will be happy with that life? Yeah. If the answer is that none of us will be happy with that life, then why are we happy to have that life once? And I think that's that, that's the important thing here. Very true. Well done. Um, Simon, I'm going to come after you. No, you stay there, please. Yeah. Simon, I'm going to come and ask you to come here. Just wrap up for us for, for those on social media uh, before we swap over to the, the QA session. So, could you just tell everyone, um, especially those that might have dialed in a, a bit late, fair miles. Uh, how do we uh, connect with us? How do we find out more? How do we engage? How do we get involved? Just take it away, please. So um, if you go to our website, www.fairmiles.org, um, you can uh, find out more about us there. We'll be publishing the latest uh, news, any events that we've got coming up. We've got some information on there as well. Um, so um, that's where you can get in touch. And through that as well, you can get uh, some contact details where you can get in touch with us too. Um, obviously, we're, 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 we, we want to collaborate with as many people uh, as possible on this. It's about engagement. It's about having this conversation. Um, and, um, and, and hopefully between us together, we can um, take forward some of these uh, ideas, um, recommendations, actions, particularly some of the ideas that are going to be discussed in the, in, in the discussion that's coming up next, mm -hmm. um, because we really want to actually turn turn this uh, conversation that we've had today into some real concrete actions. Excellent, thank you. Well, I checked on the figures earlier, and we had over eight, have had over 1,800 people dialed in from all over the world on social media and listening in. So this is but the start of the journey. We need everyone to come in to collaborate and look at the esteemed company that we've got here today from industry to, to academia um, and to lots of you and I, Ebenezer. So the, so the more that we can collectively um, hold hands to create this, uh, this positive change, the better, because we want to see businesses like Blue Skies and all the other businesses in, in, uh, in, in Africa flourish. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening um, on online, on social media. We're going to stop that feed um, shortly, and then we're going to go to the Q&A session on Zoom, and that's going to be a private conversation. So we thank everyone on social media, and we have, uh, hope you have a great Christmas and a Happy New Year, and uh, we look forward to seeing you all very shortly. On, uh, uh, on on the next Fair, Fair Miles broadcast. Thank you very much. What I think I might have done is, oh no, that's, that's worked. I'll just make sure that, and, and guys, oh, did you want to just, just come in a bit for this, this Q&A side? We'll, we'll, make it, we'll, we'll make it sort of a more, more of a, a wine bar slash pub chat.